Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. What a joy to worship with you this morning. Diane and I have loved every minute being with you and getting ready to come to be with you as well. And this is the last service as far as I can tell. The Lord can do whatever he wants in this holiness conference, but I hope he's not done with me or with you. I hope that uh, there's not an ending in a human standpoint where we're telling him what he can or cannot do. I sense this morning we're all open to him, for him to do whatever he wants. And I want to close, as the Lord's led me, with this beautiful passage in 1 Thessalonians because I feel like it is the key passage for the, the entire Salvation Army and I would say Christianity, one of the keys anyway. Uh, I'm going to have some notes here just for clarification, especially for those who are not with us those who are online, but uh, it helps me to stay clear, but it may also clarify for you, and I, I hope that's the case. This is not a teaching, it's a sermon, but for me, in our present day, I need to be very clear on what I'm saying, what I believe, what I call people to. So every time I come to this passage, I say, Lord, let me start again, let me look at the whole book, the whole Bible, what are you saying to me about my life? This is a, a life-changing passage for me, as I, th- I think you'll see here as we continue. Paul is a young missionary evangelist. Some say, and I would agree, this is the very first pastoral epistle he's ever written. So I'm intrigued by what he thinks is important. And as you go through the book, you find that it's a pretty basic outline. We came to you, the Lord blew open the doors with his glorious grace I had to send one of my own, I had to send one of my own disciples to you to check how you were doing. He came back and told me, you're doing great here, great here, great here, but there's some areas that need yet the the Holy Spirit needs access to. So the first half, great, report, and then a call to holiness. The first epistle written by Paul seems to summarize the entire Bible. The Lord comes, he does marvelous things, but in delivered people's lives, there remains something, issues. And God says repeatedly, I'll come back and I'll speak through prophets, I'll speak through preachers, I'll speak through Sunday school teachers. You must face what's remaining. You've been redeemed, but something yet has to happen. So Paul, from the beginning of his ministry, I'm intrigued by this sets a pattern for all Christian ministry. When you look at the church, that's why you and I come to worship. We love him. His glory fills this place. And the Lord says to us, the Lord of glory says, but is my glory radiating through every portion of your being? If there's anything that's not touched by my glory, that's my responsibility. And I must give it to him. Now the purpose of this entire book seems to be pretty clear. You've got a heart of a man filled with the Spirit of God who says to his own people, it's been marvelous, look what the gospel began in your lives, but there must be something more. And the effect of that is an incredibly powerful word, which we never use, is blamelessness. I have heard thousands of testimonies, maybe tens of thousands in my lifetime. I hope it's that many. 
But I've never heard anybody say, I'm blameless today, ever once. And yet this young missionary says, this is what God wants for every single believer, blamelessness of heart. I'm intrigued by that. I wonder if I've ever really heard the Bible, ever really heard the Spirit say, this is salvation, a blameless heart. That's his entire purpose, writing this book. An entirety, a wholeness, a fullness of intimacy with him. Now, I'm intrigued, as you know, because all of you know this book very well, that the book is permeated by prayers. He prays and says, Lord, thank you for what you've done. I thank you. I constantly thank the Lord as I think about you, he says. But then he moves to a different kind of prayer. Not prayer for, of gratitude, but prayer of petition. He's asking God to do something. And those prayers begin to, re, to, to come to a head in chapter 3. And I want to read that prayer to you. If your Bible's open, please look there with me. It's a crucial, pivotal place in this entire book. Chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again, and here's a key prayer, and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Prayers continue now. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless there's that word, and holy, our conference this weekend, in the presence of our God and Father, when, not after, but when the Lord Jesus comes with all his sanctified, holy ones. So prayer, this is the prayer of his heart, not just his preaching, but the way he prays. And I want to tell you, I know this is not arrogant about this core, but since I got here, since getting in the car with Paul a couple of days ago, I thought maybe we have a core that Diane are a part of in this gracious ministry that God's given to us in the army that might be a lot like this church. I don't know where you are. You know where your hearts are. But I wonder if, if that is why... Is your name Paul again? I forget. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. If another Paul says to through our Paul here... Let's look at what the Bible says about salvation. And let's let that permeate our entire beings. I sense here, not to say anything about you, I know you're nothing about yourselves, I wonder in this core if he could do something that he desires to do in your personal lives. Not for you, but for the sake of the army and the world. The world especially. That's what the Lord's always after. Not us, not the church, but how to reach the world with the light, the beauty of who he is. So the concerns for Paul are these. He says, you've been, oh, you're okay in faith. Amazing to say that. You're okay when it comes to loving each other. You're learning. You're evangelizing. He says some astounding things. It's like, wow, what an incredible core that must have been. The entire world heard about your faith, he said. They're all clear on, on who you believe in. But then he says, I must come now to supply. And that key word, I, let me just say here non-critically, because I, I mean, I love people who've translated for me. I can't translate like they do. They're marvelous people. But remember, they come with their own theological shades. The word supply is a nice term. It's a nice, I guess, evangelical term. Like, you've got something missing, I'm going to come and kind of dump it in your life. The word actually means to complete, 
to perfect, not supply like I'm going to give you something out of a canteen. I, I must come to complete a work that's not done. Something that needs to be fulfilled in you. Meaning, I have a vision, not just to come and keep dumping every week. Something must happen to you. Supply is a very soft word. It's much stronger than that. I have to stop and say, why mess up a core like this? They're doing all right. This core, Paul's core, they can support themselves financially. Everybody says, you've got the best bands in the entire area of Greece. But something is still missing. Why would you mess that up, Paul? Why would you tell people who are coming and giving and serving that they're not quite where they need to be? Well, apparently there's something deeply within their lives that they are not willing to see. And this always concerns me. How do they stand when Jesus comes on the scene? Not compared to any other corps or in the army or whatever our context. When Jesus comes, as he's been here all weekend, as he's always here, but especially this weekend, we're thinking about his presence. As he comes, how do we stand before him? And what is the goal of all scripture? That's what we've looked at this weekend with a couple of hours. We hadn't had much time. Wow, it's gone so fast. But what's the purpose of all of scripture? All of Christian history. I mean, I stand here as one who's had a chance to read some in church history. What is everybody crying for? What's everybody yearning for? They're not yearning to get rid of their sins alone. Because when you get honest about sins, you think, well, I have been forgiven. I know I'm forgiven. But why does that stuff keep coming up in my life? Why, do I, why am I still preoccupied with everything about me? I can't tell you what's happened to me this morning. You know, when preachers preach, there's a whole level of, I don't know, spiritual warfare around minds and hearts. You know, you think about What's happening and who's there? What can I say? How long should I preach? What? And the Lord says, Bill, just stop. Let me be who I am. And let these people, they can do whatever they want with me. That's the astounding thing about church. You can come and leave and not even be touched by this presence of Jesus. That's up to you. That's not my place. My place is to say to you, there is something yet in most of our lives that Jesus has not touched yet. And you may think you're doing just fine. But all of a sudden, the Lord says, wait, I love you. You're doing well. But I must complete something in you. Something is out of whack. I want to fit it together. I want to make you whole here. And I'm convinced that most Christians fight the Lord right there. They don't want that. Because they all know, like we've sung, and I've all, I had to stop singing after a while. I thought, do I want his fire to burn me to purity? Do I want that today? Yikes. Burning holy glory. Do I want, really want that in my life? It's intriguing to me as I think through this. I, the entire triune God, how can I say this any better? That the Father sent the Son so that we could see the very face of God, but the face of God is shown to us most clearly on the cross. We know that. We're spending all of Lent toward Easter thinking about that once again. But the Lord says, that is not the only reason I came. 
I rose from the dead and sent you my Holy Spirit so I could fill you with my love. His face. Yes, thank you, Lord, for all of Israel's history. The cross. Thank you for the incarnation. Still the right hand of the Father. But Holy Spirit, have you come to fill this small little mind and heart with all of my stuff with your purifying love? Overflowing selfless love. Apparently, Christians can go a long time in life and never really believe that's possible. For decades. I thought about this as I looked at the slide again last night, late last night. This is this core. This is what I've experienced. You're formed by the gospel. You're soaked with prayer. I don't think I've ever been to a core meeting that has been soaked with as much prayer as this one. And we can tell that within five seconds. It's like the Lord doesn't need us. It's like we're just kind of passing through, like little blips on the screen. Okay, he's already working. Hallelujah. You're healthy. But I want to encourage all of you to a full salvation. Because apparently this really great church had some really interesting issues. They could keep it covered, except those who loved them kept saying, no, I love you, but I'm praying that you'll be supplied, perfected, blameless. When Jesus comes again, before he comes, what's lacking? He says, well, you love, but you don't love like you need to love. There's a different level of love you don't know about. Oh, you love each other, but Paul adds a little phrase, and love everyone else the same way. It's easy to love people who are nice, look cool, wear the same uniforms. I feel safe with you. I have the uniform. We're safe. You have to love me. I'm in the army. But what about those people who, who don't love us, who don't, are not excited about us coming around, who treat us with, with, with disdain? And then he says, I also want your hearts to be established, here it is again, unblameable in holiness. Bramwell Booth, I've heard lots of different views on his life. I love him. Let me just tell you, I love Bramwell. I don't care what his leadership was like. I love everything I've ever read of his. I read him all the time. He said this, Christ did not come just to save us from condemnation or guilt, for stains or filth, but from the love and power and presence of sin. Nobody talks like that today. Nobody preaches that with any kind of consistent clarity except maybe this core and a few others like it in America. Do you know that people stop with this thing called sins? They like that part. But when you get to sin, they're like, oh, I don't know if God can do that in my life. And when you talk about the being of sin, the sin nature, everybody gets tight. But I want to ask you, why did Jesus come? Did he come to save you from your actions alone? The stuff that comes out of your heart? Or did he come to save your very heart? To make your heart like his? And that's where even in the army we find a lot of debate. And I want to know why. I want to know why we debate that. Is it that we're telling the Lord, no, we'll let you do this, but not this. We like the feelings when you take care of our past stuff, because that was a big mess, but I'll handle it from here. And the Lord says, you have need to be established. You need to be supplied. Something more is needing to be done. 
to make your heart whole like mine. Now, let me do this quickly. What is missing? It's interesting, the first thing he mentions is sex. Paragraph on sexual purity. You can't be clear anywhere in the world than that in America. We need sexual purity in the church of every kind. And if you're confused about the Lord's view of sexuality, just open your Bible. Stop listening to stupid human beings. Listen to the word of God. It's as clear as the driven snow in the Bible. And we try to confuse it because we want our own way. We like our own stuff. We like our own titillations. And God says, this is my plan for all of human history. Whatever you try to do to alter it is unalterable. But I'm convinced most sanctification in the church is missing because we're confused right here almost every time. The Bible tells us what's pure. Whatever your identity is claimed to be. And if you want to play with that, like our culture's playing with it, you will never know the fullness of God's presence in your life. Not his fullness. We need his word to speak truth on this area in our lives. And Paul says that's never been the case, uh, not the case. Every pastor, every teacher, every parent, every grand has had to deal with this in all of their lives. It never changes until heaven. It'll get worse, but it's always an issue. Secondly, he says, again, brotherly love, yes, but now I want to ask you, how are you relating to each other? Are you, are you nitpicking? Are you, are you always looking to find how a person's doing? Would you just, he says, I love this phrase for sanctification, just mind your own business. That's a really great way to look at life. Just stop judging, stop comparing, stop looking down, just mind your own business. <laughs> What a beautiful world that would be. <laughs> what a beautiful church that would be. Now he goes on to deepen that, but, but I'm intrigued how down to earth that is for a really good church. How do you, when you go home after you smile at each other, what do you really think about each other? Mind your own business. Focus on what I'm doing in your life. Don't look down, don't judge, just love. Bill? And then it's interesting, he talks about the largest, as you know, section on the second coming. In a book on blamelessness, he's saying, get ready, he's coming. If you want to mind your own business, let your mind be lifted up to the coming of Jesus. And get ready, because holiness is that reality beyond. You can't be holy if you're not holy this side of heaven. There's no being made holy when you get to heaven. You are holy now, and you're preparing for eternity. So prepare forever. And he says, encourage each other. Don't beat each other. Don't question each other's timeline. Don't separate in divisions on who does what on what day. Be ye holy. Be made in his image. He's coming. Anticipate his coming with all of your heart. And this is interesting given an army like we are. Basically, he says, respect those who the Lord puts over you. Yikes, that's an American problem for us. We don't respect any authority. We're suspicious of everybody. If you're over me, I don't like you automatically. Don't tell me what to do. And the Lord says, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you think that I'm just like throwing leadership around like I don't know what's going on, I know exactly what's going on. 
And if you've got a heart that is prideful and self-curved and saying things like, I deserve better than this all the time, you've missed me. Respect those who lead you. Because if you don't respect them, you're not going to respect me. It's very clear you think you're in charge, Bill. Wow, good church, doing all right. Lord, what's my thought life like? How about my judgmentalism toward people who aren't quite quick enough? Man, Lord, I, I know you're coming, but man, that's a long time maybe, and this is American culture. I don't know if I can really be blameless in this. It's the culture's fault. It's my background's fault. It's somebody else's fault. It's not me. And, and I'll have time. I'll surely have time before you come back to get right with you. Lord, I, don't, I wish you'd send another officer. I don't like this one. I don't like the headquarters. I don't like that. Lord says, excuse me, could I get access to you again? With all of your stuff about what you think should be, what's right and wrong, I need to supply you. I need to fulfill something in your small heart. And he says, take care with those people who are slow, the ones who have to teach over and over and over again. They just never get it. Yikes, they're irritating. Isn't that interesting? When Diane was reading, she stopped and said that phrase about be patient with everyone. We all said, oh, Lord. <laughs> exactly. Sanctification gives a patience that none of us have because it's from Jesus. It's his nature. In us. That's the patience we're talking about here. Be patient with everyone. Yes. Care for those who are slow. And care for those who hurt you. There we go right back to the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, if you are filled with my love, you will pray for those who persecute you. He begins this. This is the reality of all of biblical theology. And now this preacher is saying to a church, you also must love those who hurt you. Gentile church in a Gentile context where persecution was very present. Love them. Those who hurt you. Not just forgive them, love them. I need him for any of this to be real, true in my life. And if you think you've got it together, please tell me how that's worked for you. The only answer you'll ever be able to give me that will be sufficient for me is the Spirit has come and confronted me on every one of these things and more, and I've given every one of them to him. And he's cleansed me. He is cleansing me. But there's a fundamental reality, and that's where Paul's going, and I'm almost done here. I want to say here, I know the terms. They scare me. Blameless. Sanctification. You know what the word sanctification means? Sanctos is Holy. Vicaria means make. It's a first-person verb. I make holy. God makes. I don't make. He makes me holy. But entirety? That's the word that bothers everybody. And I'm so grateful to Jesus. Every time I open the back of my songbook, every time I look at anything from the army, somewhere are going to be those 11 articles. And it, they're right in the middle of that list is that 10th where I find just the quoting of the Bible. We're not debating. We're not saying we're great. We're not just, what's this mean? We want to know in real life. 
Am I entirely made holy by the one who is holy? You can debate that until you're 99. Some of you might be in this room that old. But I'm tell- and you haven't debated anymore. But I'm telling you, it's going to follow you all of your life. Unless you can say, like on a weekend like this, and this may be for somebody, Lord, I'm finished debating the theology. I want the reality. If it's not entire, then you do this again. Make me whole. Do in me what you want to do. Take a look at it. Before I think about the mercy seat, which I love, I love mercy seats. But I've said already this week, I feel like I make this about me. I feel like I make this entire book about 523. Remember, it's theology, not meology. It says about God, not about us. He's holy, I am not. I can't be what he is. He must come and be in me what I am not. It is about him. So before you get to what's it mean to be entirely sanctified, which I spent decades on, worrying, concerned, ejecting like most Christians, look at what he says. This is God's will for you. He's not backing up saying, oh, I hope you can make... He's saying everything I've produced, everything I am, Trinity, church, the army, it's all focused on my will for your life. I'm your father. I'm not an enemy. I'm not a tyrant. I love you. I would never demand something that's impossible or some ladder of perfection or some striving every... That cannot be the God of grace. He has no... That's paganism, not Christianity. Keep going. This is in Christ Jesus, Paul says. And notice he's saying to people who who have the Spirit's fire, don't quench the fire. Now, if you don't have fire, that's your issue. But you can quench his fire. So don't quench his fire. Let it, as we sang, fire of God do what you want. That's what fire does. It purifies. Don't quench his purifying fire. Notice this is before any call to entire sanctification. This is before. Don't quench his fire. This is the God of peace who does this. Not a God of confusion. Not a God of denominational debate. Of historical theological debate. This is God himself. He's the God of peace. And just to make it very clear, so we don't misunderstand, Paul says, and by the way, this is all done for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is human and divine, and he's the Lord of our lives. He's the Lord of your heart. He came and took on your humanity so that all of your excuses fall away when he walks on the scene. He knows our humanity. And if you missed it this morning, he's calling you. I don't know where you are in your schema of your life in Jesus. How could I know that? He says, this one who is calling, that's a beautiful way. Every Sunday I think to myself, he's calling me. He's speaking to me. He's speaking to you. Just before lunch, I'm amazed he would still do this. Why wouldn't he shout or demand or make? No, he calls. That's what he does. He calls. Come. Come to me. You're confused. Maybe Bill said something that was out of whack with what you've thought before. All right, come to me. Bring that question to me. 
Open the word and ask me, what does this mean for my life? I don't want some human voice. Jesus, I want your human divine voice speaking to me. What does this mean to me? Am I entirely sanctified? Last point. The entire heart of the God of the universe is there to enable you and me to be restored in every aspect of our lives. What he desires can be made real in my life. I read a distressing article this week, marvelously written. They're always marvelously written. It was written in one of our, uh, our magazines that we have so many beautiful expressions of that of. But as I read it, I thought, no, that is not what's happening. It was a marvelous description of justification. I mean, I wish I could describe, like the author did, justified reality. And then the author, as we often found, moved to, yes, and then you simply grow in holiness. And I thought, how many other salvationists are going to be confused by that move? So Article 10 really means nothing to us. We, we are saved, and you just automatically grow in holiness. And the Bible says a thousand different ways, no, you're not. You don't just grow in holiness. No one just grows in holiness. You never grew into justification. You don't grow into salvation. You were dead, and he made you alive. And if you have a deadness in your spirit when you can't love or you're impure or you're always judging or always comparing or always looking down, he can also put that to death by his grace in the center of your being. And Paul closes his last prayer of this prayer-filled book, may the God of peace sanctify you entirely. And if you miss it, he goes back to the entire anthropology of all the Bible and says, and all your spirit, and all your soul, and all your body. All of it. Everything you are. If you think it's spiritual, yes, but there's also soul and body. That's that mix of your spirit and your flesh together. All that we live with. He can cleanse it. He can make it his. This last week I told our friends this weekend, if you weren't here, that I've been reading some of the sanctification experiences. Everyone I could read. Catherine's, of course, the same time as William's. The Brangles, I just love rereading. I love them. But I'd forgotten that Samuel Logan Brangle, after he was converted, struggled for eight years. Eight years. He was good. He was ministering. He was a powerful preacher. Offered the biggest church in the central part of America. I mean, he was on the way to success. But there was something in his heart the entire time. He wanted to be a really good preacher. Oh, he even said, really, really holy, oh, I'll go to a small core, but let me be a great preacher there. Until finally, the Lord said, Sam, I'm not going to give you any of that stuff. I'm not going to make you a great preacher. And so Sam said, Jesus, if I, can, if I could just stammer for you where you send me, that would be enough. And when he prayed that prayer, his entire life changed. 
Eight years. I wonder if anybody here, and I know what this is like, years for me, has thought, I, I know what it is to be born again. I, I know, I know, but Jesus, there's still that, that meanness in me, that focus on me. Could, could you take that and supply all of your heart in all of me? I can't do this, but you are the God who makes holy. So I sacrifice myself. Sacrifice means the same thing, a sanctification. Sacra, holy, fike, make. I make myself a sacrifice to you so you can make me holy. That's why we kneel. That's why we pray. There's no other prayer, really. Really. That's the central prayer of any believer's heart. Lord, would you come and not just begin a work, would you complete something in me so that what comes out of my heart from this day forward is not me first. It is you first. Your love, your patience, your non-judgmental attitude, your openness to those who are slow to learn you know my sexuality, Jesus. Make me clean. He can do it. Can I ask you a hard question? Are you entirely sanctified? Do you, do you want to be? Anything that's happened this weekend, any phrase, any word, any picture, we're just little human nothings, Anything that the Lord of the universe has said to you, to yield to him, to give to him, to, to be cleansed, whatever it is, I wonder this morning as we close, if this altar, this mercy seat, might not be a particular place for you. It may not be today. There may be more process, yes, and more teaching, okay. But I just want to end with that very, very, I don't know, for me, searing question as I leave you this weekend. Are you entirely made holy by the one who's holy? If not, he can supply. He can bring in. He's the God of peace. He makes whole. Would you stand with me? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, it's a hard thing to hear, I know for some it may be a new concept to you. Please, this is the place, this kind of core is a place where you can continually learn and dive into all the fullness of what is being said today. But I want to speak to anyone here who needs a particular touch by the holy making spirit. You may be embarrassed, you may be ashamed, you may be guilty, I don't know. All I'm saying in love to you is I believe this is your time to bring that issue to him. It may be a spate of issues. Whatever the amount, you can bring it all to him. There are here people who are here that are trained to pray. They will not irritate you or bother you, but they know how to enter in if you need help. But if you want to be alone with Jesus, just come and pray here. Nobody will touch you, bump you. We want you to come to him first. If you need help, we're second. This altar is open. Lord Jesus, We've prayed already that you would do a work in each of our lives that's worthy of your holy nature in this place. We are human. 
we're confused by stuff, we have different thoughts on things, would you bring each of our hearts to exactly where you want us to be this very moment? And Lord, help us to respond as you would have us. We want to obey only you and do exactly what you say. So do that work, your best work, your only major work really in all of our hearts. This place, in this place, we pray. If he's spoken to you, this mercy seat is open for you. If you want to come, please come as he leads. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless. Thank you.